You are listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Well, again, good morning, Anthem Church. My name is Stan, one of the pastors on staff. These are for illustration. I'm not trying to be uber hydrated this morning, but... um, Man, we are going to be continuing in the book of James this week. And so we started uh, James last week. Todd got us all the way through one verse. And so I got a little bit more work to do today. We're going to continue. So you can open up there. We're going to be in James all fall. And so uh, excited about that. And today we're going to be talking about trials. And so um, even today, I think you probably caught it as Betsy was sharing a little bit about the trial that God has brought them through. And it was interesting as a, as a pastor of a next generation church that's really seeking to reach young people that our first, you know, thing that we did was a funeral and not a wedding. And it was for little Eleanor. And that was shaping for our, our church, but is really in line um, with what we're talking about today is trials. And so the question that we're going to try and answer today, and I think it's even on the screen, is what does God want for us amidst the trials? Like, that's the question we want to answer today. It's like, what does God want for us through these trials? And so there's a couple of different outcomes, you know, that could happen amongst trials. And so uh, one possible outcome is trials can break us, okay? This is one of those little, like, ceramic coffee cups, right? If I expose this cup to some trial such as like dropping it. Nobody's ever dropped a coffee cup, right? All right? If I drop this, do I I need to drop it? Do I need to break a perfectly good coffee cup? You understand what would happen, right? This would break. Somebody like, break it, do it. Okay, okay, fragile. Like one thing, like if you dropped one of those things, it being fragile, break. And some, when they experience trial, they just break, fall to pieces. It's just not good. Another thing, another outcome of a trial is resilient. You survive. This is Luke's Nalgene, so I have no problem dropping that, right? Now, these things, like, they are resilient. Now, like, through dropping it, oh, it's a little came out there, actually. Never mind that, Luke. Uh, the, uh, the resilient. Probably not better. Maybe a little bit worse for having dropped it. But it's resilient, okay? And most people, they would just, when trial comes, whatever it might be, uh, a, a newborn or when it comes to, like, uh, that's a trial in and of itself, perhaps trials at work, the goal is to simply survive. And what James is talking us, to us about today is, is actually like a third category, not fragile, not simply resilient, but this idea of being anti-fragile. And I don't have, like, a... a something that holds liquid to best, like, illustrate this. And so I have, to give you, I have to go to Greek mythology, the Hydra. Okay, the Hydra is this fictitious character that Hercules fought, and it's the snake thing with the head. Do we have this on a slide? I don't know if it showed up. But, but it's the this, this snake thing with the, 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 all the multiple heads. And, like, when you chop one of the Hydra's head, heads off, it actually grows two back in its place. Do we not have that, Nick? Okay, so does that make sense? There it is. Anti-fragile, that's what this thing is. It's You chop a head off and see two growing back in the place. This was like the least scary picture I could find of the Hydra to like illustrate what we're talking about. But there's, 
what that means is anti-fragile, meaning it doesn't just survive, it certainly doesn't break, but it actually comes back stronger when you inflict trial upon it. And James is going to take us there today and saying, what does God want for us amongst the trials? That we would grow, that we would actually become stronger, and more importantly, that we would show the world that our joy is not in circumstances, but it's in Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. That's what God would have for us. And so let's look at James chapter 1 and verse 2. It says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Okay, we're going to stop there. Upon first reading this and having gone through trials and seen people experience trials, want to have a proper interpretation of what he's saying here. Because on initial reading, you're like, wait, count it joy. How is this a good thing? How can I be excited about this trial? What's he saying here? He's saying, first of all, these trials, he's, he doesn't say if, but when in regards to trials. Not if, but when. And I spend a lot of time t- trying to avoid hardships. And the reality that we learn right away, verse 2, it's not a matter of if we're going to experience trials, but when. And note this, James is writing to the church people. He's writing to the church in Jerusalem. And so church people are not going to be exempt from trials. Does that make sense? And I, I want to clarify this because just last week I saw how damaging poor theology can be on this subject. Just last week I was on campus our college ministry, we meet on Thursday nights, and we do this thing where we just kind of pass out lemonade in order to interact with people. And if they want to know more about Salt Company, we get to interact with them about our college ministry. And guys, I'm passing out lemonade last week, and this young man comes up to me, first-generation college student. His family uh, immigrated here, just a like young strapping lad that was like in military school before he came to Mizzou. It was, yes, sir, and looking in the eyes, getting to interact with them. And I asked him, I was like, so where are you at with church? And he, by his own admission, he hadn't been around church in a while. And his last interaction with the church wasn't a really great one. See, his uh, girlfriend, who's been dating now for a few years, had recently, um, she was involved in the church, and she got sick. And she was experiencing this trial, this, this challenge. And her church people came to her in this time of need and said, you know, if you just had enough faith, God would heal you. And so there must be something, understand, this gal is experiencing like this trial, hurt when she needs the church to rally around her, what she felt was, well, there must be something wrong with you and your faith because God's good and he wouldn't want this for you. So, mm. And so now here I am with a guy that hadn't been to church having to apologize on behalf of that ministry. I say, I'm so sorry that they would tell you that. And I tried to assure him. I said, man, it was the chief priest, the scribes of the Pharisees that looked upon Jesus hanging on the cross and, and said something very similar. That surely if you were the son of God, you would call yourself down from there. (laughs) He healed others, but he can't heal himself. I said, they mocked Jesus. They said the same sort of things. I'm I'm sorry that that happened. But it's from a, a poor 
theology. And again, it's this failure to recognize that trials can be a part of God's greater purpose. Does that make sense? Jesus endured the trial of the cross. There was a greater purpose taking place. And so this poor theology says, no, trials can't be from the Lord. And again, are they a result of sin? Sin certainly complicates things, right? There are self-inflicted trials, like spending money that you don't have on your credit card and like the, the creditors like come after you. Okay, there are those sorts of trials, but there's some that are just, they just are there. They were asked Jesus, well, who sinned, this, this man or his parents, in order to make him blind? Remember Jesus' response to the gospel? is like, no one. <laughs> so that I could, God's glory could be made known. Again, some trials just exist. And so he says, whatever the origin of these various trials, brothers, he wants us to know we will meet them. And what is our response when we meet trials? He says, you need to count them. Maybe your translation says you need to consider them. Look at your trial. This, this, in the Greek, it's, it's this idea of weighing it up, going over it, considering it, measuring it, calculating it. So when you experience a trial, really weigh it up. And when you do, find that it is to be counted as joy. Now, I need to give some definition in this one because joy is not equivalent to like being happy. Happy is, is circumstantial. It is temporary. This joy, as defined even in the dictionary, is like this feeling of, of great pleasure, a deep-seated happiness. Biblical joy that he's speaking of here, this joy that we can count it as, is ultimately rooted in the Lord. In fact, you see it in the fruits of the Spirit. That is when the Holy Spirit comes to live within us that we can have this love, joy, peace, patience, and it goes on the list. But joy is one of the, the fruits of the Spirit. And so joy comes from the Lord. Does that make sense? And so that's why he's saying no matter what your circumstances, you can still have joy. You can still have God within you in this deep-seated satisfaction and pleasure, ultimately in him. And so biblical joy is found in God, not found in circumstances. And so when... We experience these circumstances, these challenges, these trials. However hard and painful they might be, we have an opportunity to make God known. Show that our joy is not in circumstances, it's in Jesus. And here's the reality. I don't want to dismiss the pain. This reality that even if we were to lose a child, which would result in just a deep sadness, I understand that. We can still have joy is what he's saying. Now, it might not be happy. It might be really, really stinking hard. But there can still be this rootedness in the Lord that leads to like this satisfaction, this, this deep-seated pleasure, knowing that God is on the throne. And the reality is that, that when we understand that, that Christians, the way we endure these trials, should say something to those outside the church that our joy is not in our circumstances, that our joy is in Jesus. And so my prayer is that, that doctors at the University of Mizzou that see people in some of the roughest times would be able to acknowledge, yeah, there is a marked difference in those that seem to love Jesus who are enduring some of the same trials, their anchoredness is evident. 
What he's saying here, James is telling us, is to consider, weigh these trials up and see the, the opportunity it offers to point to God and say, that's where our hope is. He's going to go on and say, it's not only this opportunity to point to God, but verse 3 says, you know that, that through the testing of your faith, it produces a steadfastness. Your translation might say it, it produces this perseverance. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So revisiting the opening question, what does God want for our trials? Not to break us, not to merely have us survive those things, but that, what does he say there? That we would be mature and complete, that we would be made perfect, that we would have this perseverance through them, that we would see the opportunity that trials offer. Now, let me ask you again to really try and illustrate this. Why do coaches or like trainers push people to like lift heavy weights or do conditioning? Like some of you guys, you've done like the sports thing, right? Like, why do they do that? And so the way I understand it, and I had to have somebody explain this to me because I haven't lifted stuff in a while, right? But the, from my understanding, like when you lift, like there is, you are straining your muscles to the point where there's like things happening. Like you are getting, like you are getting ripped. Like you are tearing stuff inside there. And the muscle is going to grow back stronger and bigger in order that way when you go and lift that weight again, you have the muscle to be able to do that. And so there is like, if you lift hard, there may be a soreness associated with that because like your body, like things are being stretched and pulling, right? And so these coaches will want to push you at that level and tear because they know that you will be built like stronger. And so that's why they condition us. That's why they, they have us lift weights. Now I'll tell you what, when I was in, in high school, I was more in like the category of like fragile, right? So we would do, uh, Wednesdays were on field weights, like during season. I don't know if you did something like this, but like for football, you're, you're, you're taking a beating, but they still wanted you to like at least maintain, you know, some of your strength throughout the season. So Wednesday, they would do on-field weights. We all couldn't go to the weight room, so we would just do them, like, on the field. And so, for example, like, there's, like, you're going to do push-ups, but you partnered up for on-field weights, and so you would have a guy, like, hovering over you and, like, pushing you down as, like, the coach counts backward from 10, and, like, you slowly, like, lower your arms down. But me being fragile, uh-uh right? Like, you can't, like, not participate because then you're not going to play. And so, for me to, to lean into this trial, if you will, find a good partner. My buddy, Nathan Holupnik. We had a mutual understanding, okay, as fragile people, how this was going to go. And so, Nathan would stand over me, and he would put his, like, legs around and, and like, squeeze me with his, like, thighs. Like, as I'm, like, here in push-up format, he would squeeze me so hard, y'all, like I could pick my nose with two hands and not fall down. <laughs> there was n absolutely no weight on my arms as you're like looking around, you know, and smiling. You're like, oh, yeah. We would cheat the whole way through. Like I am confident that by the end of the season, I was a much weaker individual <laughs> than when I started. Fragile. And so you see like the trials and the challenge. You're like, mm-mm, you know? You know what it's like? like and I liked having Nathan as a partner. 
was he good for me? Like, think about that. If you're paying money to go to a trainer, do you want one that you like? Because what does that even mean? It's like, yeah, they, they tell jokes and, and, and we kind of, you know, they're all right with cheat days. And, and I love my trainer because after working out with them, I don't even have to shower before I go to work. You know, I just go, right? But rather, I think what we're being pushed to is not just simply even resiliency, but this anti-fragile. And there was a day where, where Nathan, I think he was off getting his ankle taped or something like that. You're like, oh, you have a new partner, Todd Harpson. <laughs> Todd took it serious. Like, he didn't know we were in season. And all of a sudden, Todd as a partner is like pushing down on me as I'm like doing a push-up. And it hurt. Like, I was sore afterwards. Like, no leg lock thing. He just, he's actually pushing. And there's this, this love-hate relationship with Todd. There's this love-hate relationship with those coaches and those trainers where it's saying, I, 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 I don't love, I, I, I don't love what it is that you're pushing me to. I don't love the pain, but I love what it produces. Does that make sense? What he's what he's saying in here is these trials, you don't, have to, you don't have to like the trial. In fact, I think you're flat out crazy if you're one of those people that are so sore and you're like, oh, I love being sore. Like, what, are you weirdo? Like, you don't have to like that, but you have to like what it produces. And what he's saying is these trials, there's not this point where it's like, oh, God, thank you for that near-death experience. That was a lot of fun. No, but you have to appreciate what it produces in us, the ability to become stronger, to grow. That's what he's saying here, that that's what they do. And the reality is, while those things were incredibly painful and hard, without fail, they do produce this maturity. In fact, we were talking about this in our connection group. We went around. Every man and woman in there can link significant growth to these trials, and I don't know if anybody's saying, yeah, I would want to do that again, but I do love what it produced. This maturity is not obtained from eluding trials, but embracing them and coming out stronger on the backside. That's what he's saying here in verses 3 and 4. And with that reality, Lord willing, we can have a little bit different perspective when those trials come upon us. Now, some in the crowd, y'all are like the Todd Harmsons of yesteryear. Look, you're feisty. Like, you see trials, and you don't shy away. You go towards it. I am challenged by some young couples in here that say foster care, adoption. That's what, what we're doing. Because you know it's going to be great for those kids, but the reality is it's going to be incredibly challenging. It's going to be a trial for you guys as, as parents. But nevertheless, you lean into those things. You take those classes, and you run in that direction we got a young couple that's got their first kid on the way. They're going to no more have that kid and then want to get on a plane and go overseas and do missions work. <laughs> like, y'all be feisty. Like, that is, I am impressed by that. Some are looking, graduating seniors are looking for church plants to be a part of. Others, perhaps you're a little bit more like me. You're like, I, I see what he says here. I agree with that conceptually. But somebody else can have my trials. That makes sense? You're like, I, I get it, but uh-uh, not for me. And here's the thing is, is I 
can understand that. And I feel like that is oftentimes me where I'm not looking for trials. My wife, she's godly. And she's the one in our relationship being like, hey, maybe we should consider adopting. Like, we have four kids. (laughs) Pastor. But leaning in, (laughs) I don't know what that last part, but there's like this responsibility that I feel. But nonetheless, I I agree that, yes, it would be a good thing. And I agree that we'd be more mature on on the backside of this. But I'm like, at some point, I'm like, isn't it like, aren't we, not that we're a finished product, but aren't we good? <laughs> like, like, cause if I stand before God, my trust is in Jesus. And so we'll get into heaven. Like if we trust in him, like, yes, we'll make it through there. But this idea of, of storing up treasures in heaven, being a witness, not putting our hope in comfort, but not comfort first, but kingdom first. And here's the thing is I want to lean in. I want to I want us as a church to value growth and godliness. Understanding it's not about comfort, but it's about making God known. In Romans 8.28, he says it like this. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. This reality that when the whole world around us is crumbling, yet we are unshaken because we hold and we cling to the promise that God is going to work things out for the good. You don't have to like pain, Anthem Church, but acknowledge what it produces in us and the glory it ultimately brings God. Does that make sense? And I don't want that to get maligned in any way, but understand, you don't have to love the pain, but what it produces in us and the glory that it brings God. Should we lean in, as James is saying? And James anticipates that there might be a little bit of pushback in terms of how do we implement this and and what if I have questions? And so he continues in verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, For the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Okay, verse 5. Some of you college students, okay, I want you to understand the context of this. Because I don't want you leaving here naming and claiming verse 5 like, Oh, Lord, you say you'll give wisdom. I know I didn't study for the test. But you said in James chapter 1, verse 5, that you'll give wisdom with no reproach. So, Lord, help me ace this test. Okay, context is key. Don't, no, stop abusing that. Like, if that's what you've been clinging to, study for your test. Because he's talking about, this is in the context of trials. In your trials, can you ask God for wisdom? He's saying, yes. God is willing to give understanding. He is ready to give it generously, you see there in verse 5. Not showing any disapproval or reproach. But verse 6, there's a but. You can circle it if you want. But here's how to ask. Let him ask in faith. He goes on to explain. With no doubting. You can ask. You can ask, but but ask in faith. And this faith that that he's speaking of here, the biblical definition of faith is, is this belief that God is who he said he is. This confidence, this assurance that God is who he says he is. And so he's saying, when you ask, you can ask, but don't forget who you're asking. Okay, don't, 
impugn God's character and don't lay aside your confidence in God and his goodness when you ask. And that's important, okay? That we wouldn't question God in that way, saying, make sure you acknowledge who God is, ask in faith, trusting him, assured in who he is, you can ask, but ask in that way. Don't question God in it. Now, you can ask a question of God, but don't question God through the trial. And when you ask for wisdom, don't question who he is. Because here's the reality. The most loving thing that God could ever do for us, he's already done by sending his son Jesus to die for us. Does that make sense? The most loving thing that God could ever do has already been done. Pastor Paul Sabino, the guy that mentored me in the faith, he would say it like this, anything north of hell is grace of God. Like God has already done the best thing he could ever do for us, and anything north of what we deserve is just by his grace. And so God is, has been good, and so Romans, he would say, yeah, not only does God work all things out for the good of those who love him, just a few verses later he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Anthem Church, I would want us to understand amongst, amidst the trial that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to take on flesh, to live a perfect life, yet to be wrongly accused, and ultimately crucified on a cross for, for our sins, for my sins. Took the punishment that we deserve, but not only did he take the punishment, Jesus Christ was then buried, and three days later rose from the tomb, thus defeating death. And so not only have our sins been taken away, but we have this hope in everlasting life. There's life after life because of what Jesus has done. And so that is God's goodness to us. That if we would repent of our sins and ask Jesus to forgive us, that we truly can be forgiven. That's the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And so, yeah, you can ask why and you can ask for wisdom. But don't lay aside the goodness of God as displayed through his son, Jesus. And here's the reality. He says, we're promised wisdom. We're not promised an answer. That makes sense? He said, I'll give you wisdom. Ask in faith with that mentality, and there will be wisdom. And perhaps that will be a specific answer to your question. But perhaps that will be wisdom that comes from just the gospel. I would say this. For those enduring trial today, because in a crowd this size, there are people coming in here. And what he says is there's trials of various kinds. I can't even begin to capture them all. People that have recently lost loved ones. People that, that have loved ones that have been diagnosed with, with cancer or, or diseases. There's certainly been those that have, have struggled with infertility or those who are currently struggling with that or those that, that lost a child. I mean, you heard that from one testimony, but there's been more even within our church. And I would just say this. For those that are coming in with a burden, your pain is real. James is not dismissing the pain. And I am, I am truly 
sorry for the challenge that is there, the, the trial that is upon you. I don't want to minimize that at all. And I think of myself, the largest trial that God has, has kind of brought me through was burying my father as a 17-year-old young man. And there's no way you can look at me at that age and be like, wow, it's, you know, you should be happy. It's okay. God's good. Not helpful. Like, I know that, but this really stinking hurts. And the reality is about your pain, it is a real pain. I think we get the freedom from the text today saying, you don't have to like that. But what I think James would want to remind us is saying, please don't miss what that pain is able to produce in you and also the glory that it can bring God. When we suffer and we suffer well, when we endure these trials and we do endure them well, that we wouldn't get shattered by them, we wouldn't merely survive them, but we would be anti-fragile, that we would come out of those trials stronger, all the more confident, able to look to people and say, trust God. Trust God in his goodness. Make him your foundation. Trust God. James reminds us of that this morning. And he's saying, if you can't trust God, if you can't have faith in him, you will be like the wave of sea tossed and blown about by the wind. If you can't trust God in his goodness, where will you turn? And so this morning as we take communion, I'd want us with the level of faith as we go back, and again, this is representing Jesus' body broken, his blood shed for us. Not minimizing your pain, but I would want us to take communion no matter where you're at today. And here's the thing that I would want you to be praying as you make your way to the table. It's just, Lord, I trust you. I trust your goodness. I trust you that sent your son to die for me. I can trust you. And even today, that that would bring about perspective amidst the trial. Amen? And so here's what's going to happen is, is I'm going to invite the band up. And if you're new, we, we celebrate communion oftentimes here. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. So again, there's four stations kind of set up. And so if you're on the side, you can kind of make your way towards the front. Unless you're towards the back, you can kind of go to the back table. And then this middle section, if you guys would make your way to one of the back tables, we don't want anybody to miss out. So even if you have a gluten you know, intolerance or whatever, there's gluten-free at that corner in this corner. But here's what we want you to do is we want to give you an opportunity to just prayerfully respond. And so as the band begins to worship, you can, in your timing, make your way to one of these. And we've got a couple response songs. And so don't feel like you got to just go line up right away. But in your time, would you be able to identify the trial that perhaps God has you in right now, those challenges? And again, not dismiss them and say, oh, no, it's nothing that your kid is sick. That's no big thing. No, it is. But what's bigger than that is, is, is God. And so would you be able to say, Lord, this is the trial, but I trust you. And lean into him, acknowledging that he loves us and he sent his son for us. Amen? So we're going to respond in worship. And again, on your own time, if you make your way there, please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we do. We want to lean into you, God. And I just pray that for those that are hurting, hurting and broken, 
those that are experiencing challenges at work, with family. God, we just want to allow there to be perspective that comes from looking to you, Jesus. And so God, we pray for perspective this morning. Lord, would you please bring perspective this morning? God, thank you for those that have gone before and held the faith, trusting you and enduring great hardships. Again, pointing to you. And Lord, we want, not praying that you would inflict trials upon us for that reason, but God, that we want when they come, not if, but when they come, to bring glory to you in that way. So God, would you glorify yourself through these trials? And would you make us mature and get the most mileage out of them? joy and your glory. That's our prayer this morning as we take communion. In the name of Jesus.